trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, LawPay. Hi, I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. In the more than 20 years of talking to well-known attorneys who love their work, I've learned that many have a great deal of advice on matters both in and outside the law. And sometimes I'll ask them about things they know now that they wish they had known when they started their careers. We wanted to share some of the advice of listeners, so we created a special series, Asked and Answered, Lived and Learned. In this episode, I'm speaking of Lucian Para, a partner with Adams and Reese and president of the Tennessee Bar Association. He's also served as the ABA's treasurer and currently chairs the governing board of the ABA's Center for Professional Responsibility. Welcome to the show, Lucian. Hi, Stephanie. It's good to be with you. Yes. So that leads to the next question. A lot of your work involves attorney ethics issues. And I know when we've spoken before, you have said that in a lot of times, attorneys who get into trouble with ethics issues probably could have avoided the problem if they asked for help right away when it crossed their mind, hey, something may not be quite right here. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I do a lot of seminars. I mean, a, a ridiculous number of seminars. And if you were, if you had come to any of them, you probably would have heard me at one point or another draw the moral from well, almost everything I talk about, but not not everything is, as being get help. You know, I'm not sure you can say that. You know, every time a lawyer gets in trouble, they could have avoided it if they got help help earlier. But. And that's my main goal in doing seminars is to educate people about how could this lawyer have done better? How can you learn from this lawyer's example? You know, one of the problems is that none of us, and this is not just lawyers, are really objective about our own matters. And so between the fact that, you know, when we get a problem of some type, we think we have made a mistake or we think we think something might have gone wrong that might be attributable to us or our partner or you know, anything like that happens, we're not the best person to judge, number one, whether there really is a problem, or number two, how to fix it. And the companion problem in the ethics world these days is there are lots of things we do as lawyers that are governed by the law of lawyering that aren't obvious, and nobody taught us in law school, or it's too arcane, or whatever. And so there is actually some expertise out there to help. So, you know, between the fact that we don't always, we're not always objective, and the fact that there is help available on these issues, that's one of the reasons I try to draw the, the moral for people I talk with of get help. I'm curious, do you ever get a call from an attorney and they say, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I think this might be an issue. And you listen to them, you research it, you, you, lose, you, you use your judgment and you call back and said, you know, I'm so happy for your call, but I don't think you have a problem here. You're good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, let me back up a step to say that you know, the folks who do the kind of work I do inside law firms and also, you know, for their partners and also, you know, as I do as well for lawyers, other lawyers, we have mental lists, particularly of our partners. And we don't always tell our partners this, but, you know, on, they're the people who basically are equivalent to the situation where the train has gone off the tracks and your job is simply to come along and shoot the wounded. And then there are people who they can see up ahead, it's a little dangerous and they're not sure about whether that bridge is going to hold or whatever. And they call looking for help. And then they're the people who, before the train starts, they know that there's a shaky bridge and they want some help. You know, call it the A-list, the B-list, and the C-list. Well, you know, the A-list people who think they have a problem, but they've pretty much identified the problem, they've probably also identified the answer. 
you know. And so they call me. Well, that and that's fine. I God bless them. I love them and want to encourage that kind of behavior. They're looking for confirmation often, and and I do that frankly for myself, uh, in part because I can't be objective about my own situation. But the B list people are really good people. The people who, you know, they think they've got an issue. I one of my partners called me about something yesterday on the way home, and. He knew there was an issue. He didn't know quite how to categorize the issue. He didn't know what part of a particular rule to look at to get an answer. And so we talked through it, and he promptly went back to the books himself and, and looked up. All he needed was a little nudge in the right direction. But, you know, the really, actually, the really tricky part and the difference, in my opinion, between those of us who do this work and, you know, really are really, really good and those of us who, you know, they're sort of more, they're, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not the, the all-star team uh, folks is pretty simple. It's the person who calls you and they want to do something that, or maybe their client wants them to do something that is really a problem. And they may or may not realize it's a problem. It's more difficult when they don't quite realize it's a problem. They want to do something and you know immediately they can't do this. And what you've got to do if you're doing it right, doing the job right, is the same thing every lawyer does for every client which is to counsel them and get them to the right path, the right course of conduct. And you also want to do it, again, any lawyer wants to do this, wants to get their client to the right course of conduct without, I don't know, being completely rude, being completely negative, being, as we like to say sometimes, doctor, no. Because if what you say when your partner or your lawyer client calls you, if you're an ethics lawyer, and says, well, you know, I, I want to do A and B, and uh, and I somebody told me that's a real problem, so I figured I'd check with you. But I really need to do A and B. If your first reaction is, well, A and B are really a problem, and you can't do them. There's no way they'll jerk your license in about three minutes. You don't want to say that. And the reason you don't want to say that, apart from it's kind of rude, is it's not productive. Number one, I mean they've called you for help, and I think they're entitled, as any client is entitled, to counseling, to assistance, to productive advice. Yeah, you want to keep it from doing it, doing the bad thing, but you want to do it in a way that may actually accomplish what they want to accomplish. You may want to give them an alternative if you can, but you also want to let them think through the answer on their own. You want them to hang up the phone, not having thought, well, every time I go to Lucian, he's just Dr. No, I can't do any of the stuff I really need to do for my client. You want them to hang up the phone going, Oh, yeah, he, yeah, that's right. That's right. I knew that. I knew that. And Lucian just, he, he was helpful. They can think it's their idea. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And of course, they come back to you, right? Which is one good thing. If I'm in a law firm, or for that matter, somebody, if a client, a lot of my lawyer clients, I want them to call me. I want them to call me when the slightest little tingle goes up the back of their neck that maybe there's a problem. That's when I want them to call me. Do you think, because I think, unfortunately, in the law, People are so afraid of making mistakes. And of course, you don't want to make a mistake, but sometimes it's all-encompassing. Does that prevent people from asking for help? Because they're so afraid of making a mistake, or maybe someone will think that they're not very bright. I think, actually, that's part of this dynamic in terms of getting people to want to call you, because I don't want to embarrass them either. I don't want to say, well, that's the stupidest question I've heard in months, right? because they'll never call back, and, and it may also chill their behavior generally. I will digress for a minute to tell you that every malpractice carrier, malpractice insurance carrier for lawyers, will tell you that the most serious concern they have today, broadly speaking, about lawyer liability is mistakes. 
the number, the frequency and severity of claims involving mistakes is increasing and has been increasing for several years. Not, I think it's not 10 years, but it's maybe more than five. That's new. Uh, there have always been claims for mistake. You blow a statute of limitations or you fill out the wrong form or whatever, but it's increasing. And the reason it's increasing, well, nobody knows the reason it's increasing, but more informed folks believe that it has to do with things that are pretty obvious. I mean, one is the increased pace of work. Clients want an answer immediately. Mm-hmm. It's harder to make a living. Yeah, that's part of it, I think, too. In other words, a driver towards, if lawyers are under stress in terms of economic stress, yeah, maybe more likely to make mistakes. But I think it has as much to do with the pace at which you're required to get answers, the fact that most of us are working with less backup in terms of associates or other people working on your your matters. And further, clients are not as interested in paying for you to go find the right answer. They are catching you in your car on your way back from lunch, and they want an immediate answer, and they don't want you to spend another 15 minutes generally, and they don't want you to go back to the books and have to pay you to research an answer. They just want your best answer. But if you screw it up, not all of them are willing to walk away from a claim. So all of that is to say, I think it's more important than ever for us to figure out how to get over the concern about dealing with mistakes, about whether we're going to make a mistake, about how we avoid them. It, it's hard. It's a very hard problem. Well, and what's your advice for a client who calls you in your car and wants the answer right now? And I guess maybe the best thing is to say, I can't answer. I want to answer that for you right now, but this is important. And I need to, I need to take some more time before I give you an answer. Yeah. I think the truth is often the best response. And this is something I try to do and I I have to do every day because of the way my clients operate. A lot of my lawyers, they're not patients. But yeah, I think you need to tell them the truth. I think you need to say, look, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. You know, here's what I remember about how this particular provision in a contract that you want to put in the contract ought to work, but you haven't sent it to me. I haven't read it. I haven't looked at the last couple of new cases on this subject, so I'm not sure. And then say, now I could get you to an answer. I could do this research. I could pull this. I could it'd probably take me about an hour. I can get you to that. You could also say, and, and smart. this is the best lawyers I think do this. It's the same kind of thing I was talking about in terms of uh, dealing with, with lawyers who call, is to say, well, okay, tell me what you're trying to do. You know, tell me your situation. And they say, well, I'm in the middle of this negotiation. I just stepped out of the room, and they really want a provision that looks like this, and I'm concerned about this for this reason. Because there may be a solution that is, well, you know what? Let's not use that kind of provision. Why don't you suggest this other solution? Because this will get you what you want, and we don't have to fuss with it. It's a question we don't have to answer. And while it might be academically interesting for a lawyer, clients actually love if you can tell them, oh, well, you know, yeah, I get what you're saying, that you're not comfortable giving me an defensive answer, but maybe this other solution will work just as well. All they want, they don't, they're not buying a legal answer. They're not buying a chapter in a treatise. They want a solution. They want a solution to their problem, not their legal problem. It's the old consultant who used to, for a drill company, who asked his people, you know, what are we selling? And they said drills. He said, no, we're selling holes. That's what we're selling. <laughs> curious what you've not learned over the years with your work is to get help right away if you think there might be an issue. Was there a time that you learned that as a young lawyer that you can tell me about? I'm not sure there was. I, I do remember one instance, very senior uh, trial lawyer in our firm. I've only been with two firms, my old firm, Armstrong Allen. Uh, the third name was Pruitt and Mr. Pruitt, very senior lawyer. 
bomber pilot in World War II, and he took no whatever from anybody. He was he was awfully good. And I was very early in my career, I was working with him, I mean, like months. And we had some kind of thing where we needed to go, I can't remember what it was, but we we couldn't figure out the next step. It might have been a probate matter that I was helping him on, for gosh sakes. And we didn't know what to do. And my assignment was to go look up and see what we were supposed to do. And I came back to him and I told him what I'd found in the books. So, well, I might be able to do this, might be able to do that, but I can't find anything. And he leaned back in his chair for a bit and he said, we're going to file, I want you to draft a motion for instructions. I said, what's that? He said, well, we're going to ask the court what we should do. And I thought I'd never heard of that. And he, I said something to the effect of, can you do that? And he sort of smiled and he basically was conveying to me that he didn't care, that it was just something that, you know, we could figure a way to do it. We could figure a way around it. And it wasn't any law books. There was no form for it. Probably nobody had seen something like what he was describing. But, you know, he was humble enough to be able to be willing to say to the judge, I don't know how to do this, judge. Tell me what you want, which I thought was kind of racing, I guess. Good. It was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So it worked out then. As I recall, at least I, my memory is weak enough so that it doesn't <laughs> remind me of the train wreck that happened after we tried it. No, no, I'm, I'm sure it worked out. <laughs> That's a story for another day. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about listening to your gut when you think a potential issue might have come up in your work. We'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com podcast to sign up and get your first three months free. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and today's special edition of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Lucian Para about ethics issues for attorneys. Lucian, what are your thoughts? I think sometimes when an ethical issue comes up, we do get a little twinge at the beginning and maybe it like it comes to you at the gym or, you know, in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, maybe this is an issue. What do you think about listening to your gut with ethics issues? You know, I have no problem with that. And let me back up for a second on that because, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being critical of the way you asked the question, but... Whenever I'm at a cocktail party, I almost never describe that part of my practice as legal ethics. I, I just, uh, life is short and I'm tired of people talking about oxymorons and things like that. And, you know, because legal ethics is sort of a joke phrase, you know, for some people. You know, what I actually do is advise lawyers and other people on all the regulatory aspects of practicing law. And it includes everybody from litigation funders to personal injury lawyers. And so, it is in there are aspects of it that are about morals and about ethics, but very few, frankly. And there are times when I've advised lawyers on that sort of component. But so there is a gut reaction to some of this stuff. For example, one of the biggest causes of malpractice claims, serious malpractice claims, is what some of our insurers call the unworthy client. You get hooked up with somebody who you don't know at the time is they may or may not be an actual fraudster, but they are treating their um, customers shabbily and engaging in conduct that is shady, et cetera, et cetera. And they go over the line and they go down and the defrauded people decide the only pocket left is the law firm. And so they sue you. 
And so you do have to have some sense, not just of not doing things that are violating the rules of, of conduct, but you need to have a sense of you know how, how straight or crooked your, your client might be. And that is, there's certainly a gut involved in that, for sure, no question. And there certainly are instances where, you know, here's a perfect example, client perjury. You know, if your client is about to lie or they have just lied in a deposition or a trial, yeah, I mean, that's a moral problem for sure. But, you know, it ought to make you, or if you worry that they are lying or have lied, uh, that ought to make you queasy, absolutely. And it ought to also send off an alarm, not in that direction, but also in the direction of the rules, because we got complicated rules that address that. At the same time, frankly, that's one of the four or five things that lawyers face every once in a while that, I mean, that is literally where I just shout from the podium at seminars to get help because the rules are very tricky and very complicated sometimes. And also, you don't want to do that by yourself. Answering those kind of questions, what do I do in that situation by yourself, is very difficult and often dangerous. So I don't know if that's really an answer to your question, but so I think your gut helps. But my sense is it's it's sort of your lawyer-trained gut, right? Because, well, but most lawyers understand. The lawyer who called me yesterday, my partner who called me yesterday, it was about contact with a represented party, whether the lawyer in question could contact somebody else's client without their permission. And there was a sort of arcane aspect to that or whatever, but, but he knew immediately, oh, well, that's an issue, but I think there might be a way around it in this situation. And so, yeah, that was, that's a, I don't know if he knew the rule number or not. He doesn't have to know the rule number. In my view, if that part of his gut, that lawyer gut twitched, that's enough reason for him to call me and God bless him. I love that. I love when a lawyer uses their instincts like that to, to say, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's an issue. By the way, I mean, you know, that's, in my view, every lawyer, not just on ethics, you know, needs to be aware of that sort of thing. I mean, my favorite related quote is from, uh, I think it's uh, Magnum Force, the uh, Clint Eastwood movie in which uh, Harry Callahan, sometimes known as Dirty Harry Callahan, says, quote, a man's got to know his limitations. And, you know, most good lawyers do have a sense of their own limitations. They know when they see some issue lurking over in the corner of their vision on a matter that looks like an antitrust problem or looks like an employment law problem, they don't do that stuff. You know, the next thing they'll do is call somebody they think does. And that's great. That's a very, very positive instinct, in my opinion. So call it what you will, gut or whatever. But yes, I, that's terribly important, in my opinion. I want to go back to something when you were talking about the term ethics for lawyers. I'm wondering, too, if another really important part of being a good lawyer is recognizing that you're not the morality police and you were there to defend your client to the very best of your abilities within what the law allows. And I think it's kind of hard sometimes for people to pick up on that. Would you agree? I do and I don't. I agree in the sense that I mean, the rules actually explicitly say that representing a, a client doesn't imply or, or carry with it any endorsement of their political or religious or other views or whatever. So in that sense, absolutely, you're right. One of the differences you see in lawyers, and this is a, a good thing, in my opinion, is, you know, for example, in my world, ethics and loss prevention, lawyers have different risk tolerances. Some are willing to do stuff that's a little riskier than others. And I'm not talking about unethical or, or illegal stuff. I'm just talking about stuff that's within the lines, but that's that's right up against the lines. As Edward Bennett Williams used to say, you know, you want to get a little chalk on your shoes, right? So some people are very aggressive, but others are not. Others want to be much more careful. 
by the same token, a lot of lawyers have a view about who they will and they won't represent, which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the most important features of being a lawyer in this country. Uh, That is to say, we can turn away clients for any reason we want to in almost every jurisdiction of this country. And so in that vein, I know lawyers who, if a client has done certain conduct or a matter, an employment matter or a divorce matter, has certain aspects they won't touch. And it's a personal choice. It's a moral choice sometimes. It's, sometimes it's a business choice. I mean, there are lawyers who will only represent women in divorces because they think that makes them more effective or they feel they're better at doing that or they're less comfortable representing men. I frankly think that's great. I think it's frankly one of the things that it indicates is that that lawyer knows her or his, whether it's limitations or preferences. And I, uh, God bless, if somebody can shape their practice to fit their even if it's their political preferences or whatever, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, there are lawyers out there who are cause lawyers on every side of the political spectrum. And I think that's great. I have no, I think it's, it's one of the great things about being a lawyer is that you can, in fact, if you have some level of success, you get a chance to choose your clients, you get a chance to choose your matters. And I think that's, I think that's cool. I just think that's cool. Not everybody has that option, obviously, not every lawyer has that option, and certainly not every person in their employment setting has that option, but it's part of being independent, it's, and, and that's one of the most important things about being a lawyer. And that's everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and check out our other special edition Lived and Learned podcast in the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered series.